Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. And we are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. So we're coming to the end of the first half of the book of Ephesians, or maybe I should say the, the letter to the Ephesians. It's helpful to remember that we're reading early correspondence from the Apostle Paul to the early Christians, and we're reading somebody else's mail, in a sense. And sometimes these letters can feel a little foreign to us with the things that Paul writes about, but it's always very relevant to us, the things that the Spirit wanted them to know are the same things that the Spirit wants us to know. Exactly. And so although there are specific people that Paul might have in mind as he's writing these letters and and some of the other letters specifically too he'll go through i think about the end of romans romans chapter 16 where he just greet so and so greet so and so it's just all these specific names but yet the truths that are written in these chapters are just so relevant to us as well and one of the big things we've been talking about in the podcast this season has been unity among god's people and how that is ultimately brought forth by the blood of jesus and that's really what chapter two is about whether you're a Jew, so you're someone that is circumcised, or whether you're a Gentile, someone that's uncircumcised in their case, you can be brought together by the blood of Christ. Last week, we talked about that idea of the barrier of the dividing wall being broken down because of what Christ did on the cross. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And uh, Paul will talk about, you know, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. We're all part of God's household. And Paul is going to talk about how really excited he is that he gets to be a part of this part of ministry of bringing two groups of people together through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's a lot of what chapter three is about. Yeah. So let's get into chapter three. Um, We're going to read verses one through six and uh, kind of break this down as we go. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, very good. So Paul, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. And I think we talked about this from the outset, how Paul is a prisoner. Um, He's somebody who, because of his proclaiming Christ, has gotten in trouble for it and has been thrown into prison. And it's really for the sake of the Gentiles is why he's in this position. And this is something Paul brings up across really a lot of his writing, that this is his life's work, is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And that makes sense because in season two, when we went through Acts the ninth chapter and read about, at the time, his name was Saul's conversion, we're told that he would be a chosen instrument for the Lord. And he would go and bear his name to kings and all kinds of people, but especially 
to the Gentiles. And so from the very beginning, this was Paul's life's work was to take this message out. When you get into chapter 14, chapter 15 of the book of Acts and onward, a lot of where Paul spends his time is with people who are Gentiles and is teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so it makes sense here that he's expressing just how much he loves doing that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting about this chapter is the way it kind of fits together. Um, Paul begins in verse one saying, for this reason, again, seeing the work that Christ has done and making the two groups into one, chapter two, for this reason, I, Paul, you know, I'm, I'm a, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Of course, he's in prison in Rome writing this letter on behalf of the Gentiles. And then he's going to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent. And so like, assuming you have heard, you know, how God made me a minister for this purpose. I was sent to the Gentiles specifically, like you just brought up. And what's going to be interesting is this is really going to bring us all the way down to verse 13 when he finishes talking about his ministry. We haven't read this yet, but he'll conclude this section by saying, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Again, he's a prisoner. Say, don't lose heart over that. That's your glory. Hmm. And so he, he, he comes back around and is going to say, let me tell you why I'm in prison. It's for you. Yeah. It's because God gave me this mission, and that's why I'm here. And then, in verse 14, he's going to come right back to what he started at the beginning of the chapter and say, for this reason, all right, let me let me pick back up. And then he's going to pray for the Gentiles at the end of chapter 3. And so it's just kind of funny how the flow of this chapter is a little interrupted, but um, he's trying to explain to the Gentiles why he is so motivated um, even to the point of going to prison for them and to tell them, don't, don't be ashamed of that. Don't yeah. uh, be discouraged by and, that. And let me just say, I get Paul. I appreciate that he gets somewhat distracted to make a side point because <laughs> yeah. this, this really, again, this, this is what, this is, I think some good apologetics that this is a real person writing to a group of people he knew. It's not exactly the, the most polished. It, it It's raw. It is what he's trying to say. And especially in written communication, isn't what it is. Or it's not now what it was then, especially. Um, and so I think you, you clearly see somebody who has a love for these people, and it's just a raw letter that he's writing to them. But it is organized. Yes. And one of the things that we note about this is that it is the Spirit speaking through these men. We're about to talk about that in the first part of this chapter. But there's also the human element that's preserved in that. Uh, I think about First Corinthians 1, where Paul would say, uh, you know, I... I don't think I baptized any other than Crispus and Gaius. Oh yeah, there was like that one household, but yeah. I don't think it was anybody else. Yeah. You know, and again, I don't think that was the spirit like whispering yeah. in his ear, but he was writing by God's spirit, by inspiration to give us exactly what we needed to know. But there are still those notes in yeah. there that are kind of extra or like in Timothy where it's like, Hey, bring the cloak. You know, like yeah. it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Bring me extra parchments and a cloak. It's, it's going to get cold and I want to do some writing, you know? Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. So, As we think about this first part of the chapter where he says, I want you to know about the stewardship of God's grace Mm. that was given to me for you. I love the way he says that. Paul views himself as a steward. A steward is someone who's taking care of something that doesn't belong to them. They're they're caring for something that generally belongs to someone greater. And then they've been given responsibility to guard and protect and cultivate what the master has given them. And think about it. Back in chapter one, what has Paul already said 
is the precious thing. It's the saints. It's That's what is God's inheritance, are all of the saints um, all together. And Paul sees himself as a steward of the saints as he nurtures them, he teaches them, and he takes care of them. And I think that is just such a super cool idea. So um, we're their inheritance. Paul is also the inheritance, but he also sees himself as one of the apostles, as someone who is taking care of this inheritance and trying to get them as perfect as he can whenever he goes to give them up to the Father, which is actually an idea that's talked about in chapter 4. How long will we do this? Um, but anyways, and, yeah, go ahead. And and the big deal is that the Gentiles, the right. nations, are part of this inheritance. And he's going to talk about the idea of a mystery here. And when we think of the idea of a mystery, we usually think of something that we don't know. That is like, oh, it's mysterious. It's a mystery. No one knows. And But biblically, when this word mystery comes up almost every time, if not every time, it's talking about something that has been revealed. Right. Another way of saying that is that it's the open secret. And here, again, he's going to tell us in verse 6 exactly what yeah. the mystery is. Because yeah. sometimes when we read mystery, like, ooh, like we don't know. Is it? No, he tells you exactly what the mystery is. <laughs> exactly. There is no mystery in that sense. It's an open secret. He says in verse 6, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. And that's why I want to zoom out for just a minute on like the Bible story. Because yep. to us, we're like, well, yeah, because we're all Gentiles. Uh-huh. You know, we're here 2,000 years later. And like, Yes, there are Jewish people as well who are part of the body of Christ. But for the most part, in our part of the world, it's a bunch of Gentiles. It's a bunch of non-Jews. So we're like, that's not that exciting of a revelation. Like, what's the deal? But when you zoom out in the big picture of the story of the Bible, this was a huge deal. Absolutely. And it goes back to Abraham, where there are all of the nations. And at that point, when God called Abraham, there wasn't a special one nation of God's people. He chooses Abram, Abram at the time, um, a man of faith, and says, I want you to leave, and I'm going to make you a great nation. But then he says, in your family, in your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so thus begins the story of Israel, which is like the story of the rest of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Genesis all through, you know, Malachi is all about the story of God's people, the Jewish people, Israel. And for all that time, there was this division. There was this like, no, like, this is my people. If you want to be part of my people, you have to become part of this physical family of Abraham in order to do this. But all throughout there, there's talk about the gospel, you know, like the, it wasn't called the gospel at the time, but like, Good news going to the nations, being a light to the nations, the and nations when, being brought in. And the nations idea is Gentiles, yes. pagans. Yeah. And so that's a cool thing, actually, when you read at least the Old Testament, mm-hmm. I think this is true in the New Testament, that the word for Gentiles is like the same word for nations. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Bibles will translate it Gentiles or nations, depending on the context. So if we think about that storyline of God creating one unified family, not just from Abraham. He uses Abraham's family to to do it, but he's always wanted an inheritance of nations. Right. He's always wanted a multi-ethnic, worldwide, connected family of followers of Jesus. That's what was kind of mysterious at first. It was like, well, 
God chose like this one family and was using them and you had to become into that family. You had to be circumcised. You had to follow all yeah, these things. All yeah. these specific things. And now God has pulled the curtain back and is saying, but all of that was to make a family that was not just from Abraham. Exactly. It was to bring in all these nations, all these people from different backgrounds and make them one in Christ. And when we think about that as the mystery, we're like, oh, okay, that's that's cool, you uh-huh. know, like, and because that, that's an ongoing process of us taking the good news to the nations. Yeah, and you see yourself in this wonderful, big picture plan that God has always had. Uh, yeah, and that's what Stephen was just saying. Verse five, Paul says, "Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men." This is something a lot of people were confused about. I think a lot of the Jews knew of those passages that talked about. Uh, I think about in the book of Micah, where they're all going to go up to the mount. The different nations are going to come in. And there was some of that veiled language, is how I'll put it, that they kind of knew that this was going to happen at some point, but they really didn't know everything about it. And what he says in verse 5 is, it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Right. And ultimately, it's from Jesus. Exactly. Yeah, let's take a minute and talk about that. I love verse 3 and 4 and and Mm -hmm. 5, where he talks about the process of inspiration. This is one of the clearest passages I know of to kind of follow the different steps. Like, okay, how does God speak to us today? I mean, it was true then, it's true now. Um, He says, now, God has made this mystery known to me by revelation. Again, here's Paul. He's an apostle, also a prophet in a sense. And he has written briefly. Um, He's writing something down. And so in verse 4, he says, when you read this... Gentiles in Ephesus and probably other places where this letter would be circulated. When you guys read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. God didn't speak directly to all these different Christians. He spoke to Paul. And he said, Paul, I want you to write this down. And in verse uh, 5, he talks about this wasn't known then as it's now been made known to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Spirit was not speaking directly to every individual Christian. And and there's a lot of confusion in our world about the Spirit, like how does the Spirit speak to us? And a lot of people thinking like, I need to wait for like some special like whisper or some kind of thing. Here, he doesn't say, all right, now guys, here's how you're going to tell what the Spirit wants you to know. You need to be real quiet or go out in nature. And He says, no, when you read this, you get, the mystery and the revelation that God wants you to get. It's through reading what the apostles wrote by the Spirit. And that's such an important distinction and different from a lot of what people perceive or want from like kind of very specific yeah. personal revelation. Well, and, it's and, revelation through, by reading scripture. Yes. I think when people talk about different encounters where they've heard God speak or those are very personal. Those are things that, you know, they, they believe are real but they're all very mysterious. They're all very... Um, In the th- other sense of mystery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there's really no finality to it or anything that's firm. But in the scriptures, it's very firm. It's very You can read it, you can understand it, and it's very clearly sent from God. You can read it and understand it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the very exact thing that Paul is trying to point out here is that you don't have to be guessing. Listen to these words and you'll know what the Spirit wants you to do. Yeah. So if we were to like break it down into steps, the way that God speaks to us that we can be sure of is God mm-hmm. speaks through the Spirit mm-hmm. 
to his apostles and prophets. Yep. And they wrote it down and we read it. Exactly. Those those steps. God, spirit, apostles and prophets, wrote it, read it. And that's what we need to look for. And thank God that we don't have, I, I don't believe, living apostles and prophets today, but we have what they wrote. Exactly. <laughs> so that we don't have the Apostle Paul running around doing his thing right now, but we have the benefit of the Apostle Paul because the Lord has preserved his letters, inspired by the Spirit for us to read. And so this is a beautiful thing that we ought to be grateful for, uh, that God has given us. Uh, to be able to read the scriptures and understand Paul's insight and and Peter and John and these other guys into the mystery, the open secret of Christ. Yeah, I, I think even going all the way back to season two, Acts two, after the people repent and are baptized, there were 3,000 of them that did it. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to mm. prayer. From the very beginning, th that's who God chose to give his message through. And, of course, in Acts 2, it was oral, um, but it'll be written in mm -hmm. forms of communication from the apostles that we have today. Exactly. Yeah. So let's go ahead and read this next section. Um, we're going to read verses 7 through 13. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, Of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. So Paul shifts from like how he got the information to now just what is it that God wants him to do? Um, what is it? How did God call him? You know, what is his servanthood? Uh, sometimes we use that word ministry, mm -hmm. but it, the minister literally means a servant. And a, a ministry is like a servantness, a way yeah. in which you yeah, are yeah. serving uh, servanthood. And so he says, I'm a, a minister of this good news, of this gospel. And again, it's the gift of God's grace. Yes. And that is so cool. He's t Paul is talking about some work that he's doing. So it's work he's actually doing. But what does he still call it? It's God's grace. Yeah, and, and it was just, given me by the working of his power. Yeah, I love that. It's just, there's like a moment where you're like, yeah, Paul, you know, talk about how good of a speaker you are, or how good of a teacher you are. He's like, nope, because that's what really God gave me. And that is just such a good perspective to have on life. Anything good that we're at, guess what? It was God's grace that you were good at that. It's his power that makes you be able to do these things. He created you. He gave you those gifts. Mm -hmm. Paul, at every turn will give glory to God and humble himself. And that's a really good practice for us to get into. And that's exactly what he says in verse uh, 8. To me. And, you, and he's just like, even me. Is yeah, kind of the yeah, idea. Yeah. Though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given. And Paul realizes that. He doesn't go into it here, but other places he'll talk about, you know, I'm, I'm like not worthy to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. Um, I'm the chief of sinners right. because of what I did. There are multiple places where Paul will look back and say, I do not deserve this. 
it is grace upon grace. I mean, it's always God's grace when he gives us work to do for him because we don't deserve that. But especially in Paul's case, he was a vicious, violent opponent and God still used him. And so he's just very aware of that as he's going out and doing good in the kingdom. He said, I don't deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't by, by all means, like it's only by God's grace that I'm even able to do any of this. And he, says, I get to preach to the Gentiles or to the nations. Sometimes I like to read nations instead of Gentiles as we go through here. To preach to the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ. What did you say? Unfathomable? Yeah, thank you for saying that. I always stumble across that word. But yeah, unfathomable. And this is only used twice in the New Testament. I was actually just looking this up. And Paul in Romans 11 and verse 33 will say, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable Mm. are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Yeah. So very similar context, actually, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And so he says in verse 9, again, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He's already told us what that is. Mm -hmm. It's that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the promise. Um, again, all nations, one multinational, multi-ethnic family that is being brought together in Christ. It's been brought to light for everybody. Everybody can see now what God has been doing all, all along. Yeah. So all people on earth of all ages are going to be able to figure this out. But verse 10 is interesting. Mm-hmm. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to who? The rulers and authorities. Okay. So like kings and stuff. No, he says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Mm-hmm. And that, at least to me, Stephen, brings this picture in of there were people even in heaven or things in heaven. I don't know exactly the what they were. Spiritual yeah. of some kind. That were still going, how is God going to do this? Like, what? why is he doing it this way? Mm-hmm. What's happening? Things into which angels long to Exactly. Look. And here Paul is saying, you, the church, us, the church, Paul, of course, part of the church too, just our being united together, Jews and Gentiles, by the blood of Jesus, it answers all the questions those spiritual beings have. Mm-hmm. Just by being the church. And that blows my mind that we have a piece or we have a part in explaining things in the way we live to even heavenly beings. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that humbles me yeah. um, to think about. And, and it's not for our glory or to think right. that we're so wise. It's, just, it's the, so that the wisdom of God... that. The way God has put this plan together is no plan that a human would have put together. But when these angelic beings, whatever they are, rulers and authorities, um, and this may be good ones and evil ones, I don't know. Like they, They're looking down and they're like, wow, look at what God is putting together in all this plan. Like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. Yeah. And we know that Satan didn't see it coming. There's passages like 1 Corinthians 2 where it says if they had known... If the rulers of this age had known that they wouldn't have crucified Jesus, mm-hmm. like Satan signed his own, you know, death warrant yep. when uh, he did that, and so through Christ's sacrifice, through bringing the nations together, the way God has done this, it was hidden, but now it's been made known to us, but also to this spiritual crowd that is looking on. We don't know a lot of detail about that, but to think about wow, what God is doing in His church, in His people is on display for the world and the heavens to see. Mm -hmm. And all of it ought to make us say, God is wise. Yes. Wow. Look at what he's done. Yes. Um, Paul points out in verse 11 that this was in accordance with the eternal purpose, 
which you carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was not something God was doing on the fly. This was not something that he was like, oh, well, I didn't expect Adam to eat that fruit, so now I'm going to have to figure something else out. You know, th- this is the eternal purpose. God had a plan for all of this to pl- take place the way that it did. And that makes me fully, more fully appreciate it um, to know that this was always part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. But it's carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes. I always wonder, too, so in verse 12, when it says, uh, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him, I almost wonder if Paul writes an asterisk there and says, see the book of Hebrews. Because that's <laughs> that's really what the book of Hebrews is about, is being able to boldly and confidently access God because we have Jesus Christ as our great high priest. He has the better covenant. He has the better sacrifice, the better blood, the better everything, so that we can confidently approach the throne of God when we have need. Yeah. And I also think that the access and boldness is going to setting us up for the prayer he's about to offer and saying we can come boldly. Oh, to yeah, the that's a great grace. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah that's and, a great point. And the Jews and the nations can come together yeah. uh, to God through Jesus, through faith in him. And so verse 13, as we mentioned earlier, um, goes back to what he said in verse 1. I'm a prisoner for you guys, so, but don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. That's your glory. Like you should look at what I'm doing and glorify God and say, God saw fit to send us an apostle. He he saw he sent forth this guy, Paul, you know, with his crazy background mm-hmm. to preach to the nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so they can rejoice, even in his imprisonment, knowing why he's there, knowing what he's doing and what God's doing through him. And so that brings us to the the prayer here at the end of the chapter, and it's specifically for the nations. It's for the Gentiles. Verse 14, beginning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So Paul, he gets back around to his prayer in verse 14. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father. Yeah, going back and, to verse 1 again. And For you, this reason. <laughs> you cannot help but fall down flat on your face when you consider this great plan that God has always had. I mean, when you stand before a God who has had this eternal purpose and has enacted it, enacted it, let me get that word out, perfectly, it went off perfectly. You can't just stand before him. You got to fall down on your knees when you're before a God like that. And uh, this is a posture of prayer that we see in other places as well in scripture. But I do think it's an appropriate posture with what Paul has just said. You know, I know it's written, but it's just talking about that idea of humbling yourself before a God who is so powerful. 
Mm-hmm. And he's demonstrated that through the cross of Jesus Christ and bringing every family together. Uh, and I love that in verse 15. Yes. Every family in heaven and on earth, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, guess what? You're a child of God in the fact that he created you. Isn't that the point that Paul makes in Acts the 17th chapter when he does his sermon on Mars Hill? Yeah, he made from one. Yeah, every exactly. family of earth. And again, this is so relevant for the nations, for the Gentiles. Because they have felt like, well, there's like there's Abraham's family and there's everybody else. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, no, God is the father of every family in heaven and on earth. Everybody gets their name ultimately from one mm-hmm. father, from one God. And he's going to say this in a minute. One of the seven ones, he's going to come back around. There's one God and father of everybody. And again, he's like, God is just as much your father as he was Abraham's father. And you are heirs of the same promise. Your children together. Um, it is powerful to think about that. And now, again, reading this through the lens of what Paul is doing for the nations is really mm-hmm. brings it alive, why he's using these terms for God. And so his prayer for them in verse 16 is that according to the riches of his glory, which that's a lot, yeah. <laughs> according to that... <laughs> He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, strength is going to be kind of the main focus of this prayer, but not physical strength. Not like, I hope you go to the gym and get mm-hmm. buff. Like, you need spiritual gumption, spiritual courage, strength, fortitude. Um, he asks, I want God to grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being or your inner man. And I think that idea of like inner person or inner man is talking about like kind of your soul, your spirit. There's a lot we could talk about there, but it's, it's not just your flesh. It's not like, I hope that you're physically strong mm-hmm. or even just physically healthy. It's like, I want your spirit to be strong. Your inner person, the one that's driving what your body is doing. Right. Um, and that's what Paul is focused on. He's not focused on their, their physical health, which is again, what we often focus a lot of our prayers on nothing wrong with that in and of itself but it's amazing to me in paul's prayers you mentioned this back in chapter one that he's not just praying for like safety and health and outward blessings but he's praying for that inner man that inner being to be strengthened and notice what he points to to strengthen that in verse 17 so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love I want to keep going into verse 18, but it's probably good to just talk through that for just a second. Um, this is a this is a wonderful... If you think about the heart, this is one of those things that we talk about a lot whenever we're thinking about becoming a Christian. What What is in our heart? What is taking place as the, the foremost ruler in our heart? Because whatever that is, that is what we're going to do in life. But if we let Christ to rule and dwell in our hearts through faith... That is going to dictate our every move, our every decision, everything that we say and everything that we do. And so that's what Paul wants for them, to be changed inwardly so that they can also be changed outwardly. So I think 16 and 17 obviously go hand in hand with that. Yeah. It's also interesting just thinking about the Spirit lives in us in verse 16 Mm -hmm. and Christ lives in us in verse 17. Yeah. Um, We talk sometimes about the Spirit being, you know, our bodies being a temple of the Spirit. Um, but Christ as well. Um, and he'll say that, I think, in John, 
I think it's where around John 16, where the, the Father and He will come and make their home with with those who are, have faith in Him. And and I like the verse 18, where it's a different kind of strength. It's almost a, a mental strength here, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the the breadth and length and height and depth, which I think is four dimensions yeah. <laughs> of measurement. Totally. Which right. is the, the point is like, he's about to say, the love of Christ. I want you to have strength to understand all the dimensions of the unknowable love of Christ. And that's so important when we think about growing spiritually. He says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. Love is like the, the ground, the nourishment from which our growth comes. John would write, we love because he first loved us. Our capacity to love other people is going to be based in large part over how much we understand and know and appreciate the love that Christ first showed us. I just did a quick search. This word is used in Mark 9. Whenever they come down off of the Mount of Transfiguration and there was that demon-possessed boy, it's describing him, and it says that the demon, whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth. That word seizes is the same word here, which as, as, uh, as our word for comprehend, oh, to comprehend. And I think that's pretty good. Yeah, seize. I thought that was really cool. If you just think about being overwhelmed, seized by the love of Christ, it is going to change everything about you. So I didn't know that. That was pretty cool. That is interesting. Yeah. So if we can grasp the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge yeah. to know the unknowable love that will work its way into our other relationships. Mm -hmm. And what a great prayer yeah. to pray for people is so that I want you to understand just a little more of God's unknowable love. Because the more you are filled with that love, look at what Christ did for you. Look at what he sacrificed. Look at what he went through. And the more we meditate on that, the more we take that in, kind of like roots down in the ground mm -hmm. as we are pulling that love up through the roots it is what will bring forth fruit in our life and flower it'll it'll be the thing that drives our service our love our giving and sacrifice for other people is we're drawing that from the love of Christ and what he's first done for us. Yes. And that's really a good lead into what the rest of the book of Ephesians is going to talk about, walking in a worthy manner and how it's going to change every relationship you have in your life as a parent, as a husband, or as a wife, um, as a servant, as a master. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. It's going to change everything about you, mm -hmm. every relationship, every aspect. Just I love that idea, though. Let, let the love of Christ seize you and change you and motivate you um, in ways you've never been motivated before. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that he f ends both of his prayers in this book with the fullness of God. Yeah. At the end of chapter one, he says the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And here he kind of wraps up the prayer, uh, or at least before his statement of praise at the end, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Chapter three, verse 19 I don't fully understand that, mm -mm. Um, but that's what God wants to do is he wants to fill us up to his own fullness. And the things of this world certainly don't do that. Um, 
but when we are filling ourselves with the love of Christ, yeah. meditating on that—that's where we start. That's what gets us. We there. start where the heart with the heart, and we start by meditating on the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Well said. And um, I don't know what's going on in verse twenty and twenty-one. I think he's just, he comes back into wrapping up the prayer. I well, guess, it's, and it's the power. He's saying, yeah. like, man, that's a big, that's a tall order. But let me say, God is more than able. Yeah. To do what we've just asked him to do in this prayer. Um, and here's the beautiful thing. I mean, it's like he runs out of superlatives. He runs out of words to, to describe. Now, now to him who is able, because that's what's so, what's so important. We're not just like praying this like, well, well God, it'd be nice if you just like, no, like God is absolutely able to do this. He's able to do not just what we ask. He's able to do more than all we ask. He's able to do more abundantly than all we ask. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like we can ask a lot. We can think even more. As like that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of God's ability, God's power yeah. to accomplish what he wants. Yeah, it brings, brings back up that power idea, the power that God has that he's already talked about. And yeah. it's, it's the power that works within us, which still I have a hard time grasping. If the <laughs> eyes of our heart are opened to yeah. the, the, his resurrection power in Jesus, we'll start praying differently. We're going to start praying um, more according to his power. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is the power that's at work within us. It's not just that God's powerful, but way up there. It's that God is powerful here and now through his strength in us. Um, and so to him be the glory in the church, which he's just said, you know, the wisdom of God is being made known to these rulers and authorities. Yep. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And just a beautiful, beautiful prayer and a great model prayer for mm-hmm. us. Again, a lot of times we look to Jesus' model prayer, which is wonderful, powerful. I love the prayers that were recorded for us in the epistles, yes. the letters as well. Yeah, and it's a good exercise to get into is to pray through texts like this and, and look at them to to model and guide our prayer and shape them. Um, wonderful, beautiful chapter of, of Scripture, and it's one I need to meditate more on, so I'm glad we got to do this today. Uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to get into chapter 4. So this is going to be the turning point of the book. Chapters 1 through 3, there's a lot of really good foundational things that they need to understand about the blood of Jesus and what it does. And now chapters 4, 5, and 6 are really the application section. Okay, Now that you understand all these things about the plan of God and the blood of Jesus, what does that look like in your life? How can I live that out? And that's what chapter 4, 5, and 6 is going to be all about. So we'll turn over a little bit of a different leaf next week and get into that. Yeah. If you guys are enjoying what you hear on the pod, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. Um, If you'd like to study more with us like this, if you have Bible questions, we'd love to hear from you. 717-585-0949. Text us or call us or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.